Welcome to Business Line's State of the Economy podcast, where you'll find insight, analysis, and the story behind the numbers. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Business Line podcast. Today we have with us Mr. Karthik Ganeshan, who is the Fellow and Director, Research Coordination at the Center for Energy, Environment and Water. At the CEEW, Karthik has played a key role in conceptualizing and executing some of the policy think tank's biggest successes and collaborative efforts, such as the Access and IRES surveys and the Greenhouse Gas Platform Initiative. He is also an active researcher with the power sector and air pollution work programs. Today, through Karthik, we will critically look at India's clean energy initiatives and attempt a SWOT analysis of the clean energy transition in the country. Karthik, my first question to you is, when you look at India's clean energy transition goals, vis-a-vis, with, uh, for example, the renewable energy projects, prospects for green hydrogen, electric vehicles, carbon capture, are you satisfied with this progress has been made so far? Or do you feel a more concerted effort is required? Obviously, you know, when it comes to India's progress, at least stated uh, goals, They are certainly well above what India should be doing. Uh, So in that sense, India's aspirations are, I think, fantastic. In terms of progress, uh, really across the world, the major push has been only for renewable energy in a big way. Electric vehicles, of course, have gotten a push in certain geographies, uh, specifically in China and some parts of Europe and in certain states within the US. And when it comes to renewable energy, I think India has done a phenomenal job in uh, getting close to the 175 gigawatts that it wanted to. We've probably fallen short by, you know, maybe about uh, 20, 25 gigawatts or so uh, at the end of 2022. But a lot of that projects are actually under, you know, various uh, sort of stages of, you know, uh, planning and commissioning. Um, so I'm guessing, you know, for, for all practical purposes, if we take out the, you know, the COVID distortions, you know, we are kind of on track to what we would have been doing. Uh, the bigger question, of course, remains what is needed for India to accelerate. There are perhaps some teething issues that, you know, that have, kept back progress and innovation and perhaps an overhaul of the energy system and the markets that govern it. Uh, Addressing those might, I think, unleash uh, the full possibilities of what, you know, green hydrogen and possibly electric vehicles can offer uh, in the Indian context. Closely associated with, uh, you know, India's clean energy transition, a key impediment that many analysts and market insiders have pointed out is af- affordable financing options. And this gives for, that gets further exacerbated due to limited budgetary resources, as well as difficulties associated with, associated with mobilizing private capital. As you are aware that the United States in August last year uh, ratified the Inflation Reduction Act, and which analysts and market sanitizers again say is weaning away investors from India to US because the prospects are better there. You know, I wanted to quickly get your thoughts on this, whether you have any suggestions of how can, you know, we can tackle this issue of financing. Obviously, you know, when we are when we're looking at whether it is for semiconductor manufacturing, I think even before the IRA, I think there was a a brief focus on semiconductor manufacturing and how the US and Japan, in view of the increasing conflicts with China, were looking to sort of set up increased basis of semiconductors in their country. And, you know, even there, the amount of money that the US and Japan pledged to actually pull back manufacturing into their geographies, significantly more so than what India did. And as a result, we still are yet to see, you know, that significant uh, base for semiconductors in India itself. In fact, there is, isn't a perceptible one. In a similar manner, you know, when it comes to anything pertaining to technology, perhaps manufacturing of advanced technology and, you know, the use of advanced materials, 
India is always going to find it a challenge given our inability to sort of attract it with the level of funding that's available in the US. That said, we still represent, you know, close to about, you know, 15, 16% of the global population. And the needs of this population can certainly help create a demand for some of these products. And at the end of the day, this demand will materialize only if these are priced at a point where all of this demand can be satisfied. And, and in that sense, there is always going to be that necessity for this to be manufactured in the Indian context. To this date, notwithstanding the recent uh, you know, increase in uh, interest rates in the US, mm-hmm. India is a market which has potential you know, for, um, I think, giving uh, the kind of returns that I think these overseas investment houses require, whether it's these pension funds. Now, we need to figure out how do we re- and ensure that they recalibrate their risks that they see vis-a-vis India as a destination for investment. And, and this is where I think what the government has done by virtue of all of the different policies that have been enacted, you know, whether it is the mandates for, for instance, for energy storage, the green hydrogen push that has been given, all of these will certainly play a role. Now, the fact that the US can pretty much just go about printing its own currency to help finance this doesn't help our cause. And this is where uh, we need to figure out how do we basically bring down the risk perception for some of these investors in key areas. And this has to do with the government basically setting setting right some of the fundamental issues that we discussed. So for instance, offtake guarantee when it comes to any one of these you know, um, new fuels. How do you ensure that the entity that basically you know, is likely to take up this fuel is has the ability to pay for it? That somebody will, at the end of the day, take or pay if it is generated. That is where we need to ensure that there are mandates on various entities to use it. And figure out how do we uh, give a sense of the economics to the population that we have. Uh, If I take a look at uh, electric vehicles, in many cities, the three-wheelers that currently operate, for instance, it is profitable almost, you know, even within a short time frame of two to three years to be able to shift from diesel-guzzling three-wheeler auto Mm -hmm. to an electric auto. And in fact, on a daily basis, you're pretty much taking home more money than you would, you know, in the case of an electric auto. But the fact is, a lot of people don't understand that this is the possibility that exists and they sort of end up attributing the risks associated, for instance, with the range that the auto can give, uh, the challenges of operating a new technology. All of those end up becoming barriers and as a result, they aren't able to grab the opportunity that uh, is presented to them. If we can clear sort of these bottlenecks in terms of the misunderstanding, specifically in the case of EVs, for instance, and equally in the minds of investors on what it means to invest in clean hydrogen and uh, whether it's in green hydrogen or whether it's an RE, we will certainly have a a better sort of investor market. And more importantly, the demand for some of these commodities will certainly go up. Another issue is developing the manufacturing sector, you know, with respect to PV modules, cells, ingots and wafers, since we have virtually no wafer manufacturing capacity, you know, as well as, you know, about the green hydrogen manufacturing uh, uh, chains, right from, uh, you know, right from um, electrolyzers to, you know, transporting green hydrogen. So, and, and you know, the government is trying through variation initiatives, they have uh, they've enhanced the ease of doing business. They are, they are um, uh, providing subsidies. But what, according to you, you know, needs to be done, you know, to, you know, further push India towards, you know, expanding its manufacturing um, capacities, you know, specifically for clean energy um, products, services, and technologies. Here, as you can imagine, you know, whether it is the, the, the main challenge remains this, which is we need to deploy renewable energy today at a scale that is unprecedented as far as our income is concerned. And the moment, you know, you have to then create uh, opportunities for manufacturing domestically, you have to think, can I basically provide a domestically manufactured product 
at a competitive price that will ensure that my aspirations for deployment are not hindered and that is really the problem that india faced you know as you you mentioned earlier when you were speaking about the almm which is this you know accredited list of you know module manufacturers and it was initially you know said that you know you can only purchase from these almms and of course because they were all manufacturing at domestic costs and you know a significant some of the components that they had to get were manufactured from overseas the cost of certain things uh, in india are obviously higher and as a result when you when you weigh it up against what china would offer you'd probably be paying a 10 to 20% premium uh, and india has tried to sort of you know keep uh, chinese imports also at bay through various kinds of levies in the past in fact one of them i think is about to expire perhaps uh, middle of this year Uh, all of these are ways in which you can certainly try and support a fledgling industry in the country but the reality remains that in order to uh, get to the targets that we've set for ourselves and more importantly to provide for the energy that this country needs because we've been talking about a you know like a 500 gigawatt target a 175 gigawatt target by 2022 500 by 2030 the entire system is really gearing up to expect that to be the majority of the power sector generation for instance now if that were not to materialize for whatever reason there are significant uh, you know implications because your alternative options which have been you know with us for so many years which is coal and hydro have not seen the kind of investments that are that were made earlier and as a result today whatever little surplus we had we are living off those as uh, those uh, uh, constructed assets whether it's in thermal and hydro mm-hmm. but by middle of the decade you know we will sort of be in a position where if we don't ramp up the installed install capacity base of these we'll we'll sort of uh, face some challenges so as a result india has right now caught between a bit of a rock and a hard place where you want to further the domestic industry but the costs of you know what it delivers are going to be higher and at the same time you need to install at a pace that is never seen before mm-hmm. and how do you ensure that that does not you know the cost of procuring domestic does not derail it so for now they've relaxed it and said you know import from wherever make it happen we need 50 gigawatt a year of installed capacity coming from solar and wind that's the message from the you know the minister himself uh, alongside the indian industry you know pli schemes you know two rounds of pli have certainly already happened and there have been you know uh, winners for the solar bids and there's an expectation that a significant bit of our capacity requirements for solar you know right from uh, you know the the cells and the wafers will come from within over the course of this decade it's just that it's not going to happen overnight because china did not build that industry overnight oh, it is going to take us this uh, good part of this decade for us to you know um come up to sort of some sort of pace and have uh, um, installed capacity in the range of manufacturing right in the range of about uh, 30 or 40 gigawatt of you know uh, i guess end to end manufacturing to solar panels so the investment is certainly coming in from the private sector the pli scheme has done the job it's a matter of now time before seeing whether uh, the cost of uh, you know um uh, production from these facilities uh, given the scale at which investments have happened will be able to compete with china over the course of this rest of the uh, so you know i'll i'll come back to the debate on coal fired plants as you said that we uh, like you know the oil producers the opex they did not invest in you know production facilities we did not further invest in coal fired and as this energy security and uh, issue you know rages on we will we will be dependent on coal fired plants in fact um, uh, as per niti ayog even by 2070 10% capacity will be running on coal fired plants so that's the that's the assessment they gave uh, 
so with you know coal fired plants today you know uh, uh, we are uh, our consumption is growing significantly um, uh, in fy24 we expected to grow anywhere between 5.5 to 7% and while in fy23 it um, it grew at more than 10% so which is phenomenal so uh, you know this and this present energy crisis has again made coal based uh, plants you know uh, a key key to providing ensuring energy requirements so you know i wanted to you know uh, explore your views on basically on the coal fired plants and you know uh, their significance right in this current context of energy security and uh, do you think or feel uh, that india should wean away from coal and if you think it should then uh, do you uh, what time period would you suggest right i think you know most assessments you know would say that uh, when it comes to coal use in electricity generation which is what we are talking about here mm-hmm. right is likely to sort of you know um, peak possibly in the 2030s this IES is as, is 2035 i i right exactly yes. i exactly right coal based generation in india right which already means that you know we are you know at least you know 12 years away right to be very specific from reaching that which means until that point unless there is a drastic change to some of the technologies or the costs as, as we know it or we discover new business models that helps drive uh, the cost of storage for instance to such low levels that we are able to you know sort of really build new re deploy storage and sort of wean away faster uh, from coal it is likely to be on a growing trajectory now there is nothing to suggest today because yes. see at the end we started discussing on financing in the, you know in, in your second question and ultimately that's the biggest missing piece right unless we're able to sort of get that kind of financing in the hands of utilities mm-hmm. and the private sector we know that the cost of storage is not going to come down that fast it's not purely a matter of technology development i think that there is certainly an element of that uh you know ever growing you know densities you know um better chemistries for uh, you know for uh, you know ensuring losses are reduced all of that but uh, ultimately the financing is a bottleneck and we are seeing that there is no traction really because every man for himself seems to be the mantra here right yeah. uh wh- whether it is for instance you know uh, the penalty that will be collected under cbam right the carbon border adjustment mechanism what is it going to do it's basically going to help further the divide between the west and india right uh, the, whatever they collect they're going to basically help you know nurture their industrial base to make it tougher for uh, global south to compete so in that scenario i don't see how the cost will decrease at the pace at which we want as i said scale can always do it in that context coal plays a significant role now notwithstanding the role that coal will play i think one of the things that india needs to be very clear and aware of is we must do whatever is possible to try and minimize our emissions footprint so given the fleet that we have given the type of assets that we have mm-hmm. are we doing the best in terms of generating electricity from these coal fired power plants at its efficient best uh you know uh, are we you know uh, unduly incentivizing a certain set of plants because of legacy contracts mm-hmm. all of these issues i think is the main thing that india needs to contend with the moment we do it and the moment we say that i'm putting efficiency at the core right and my other distortions which have basically been keeping uh, you know inefficient plants up and running uh, you know state fired entity state state owned plants which are you know uh, you know legacy and all that are still sort of surviving if we can 
get away those distortions, perhaps it will also provide for the right incentive for new tech to come in. Today, one of the big challenges, you know, if you see in some of the states is that because you ended up committing to, uh, you know, coal-based generation many years ago, they're sort of caught in the sunk, sunk cost fallacy, right? which is they invested that money, they need to basically recoup it now. As a result, they're more than happy to pay a significant premium for electricity during peak. Now, had we thought about all of this growth in a different way, we may not have been in this position here today, right? Where there is a lot of debt, you know, and payments for, uh, you know, capacity that has not been utilized, that has been made, which has made everybody poorer. I'm guessing ultimately the people who've made money are the financiers here. Right. And possibly not even, possibly not even the state financiers. Yeah. So I, I think if you were to think about, you know, understanding what our need going forward is, what will uh, coal-fired power plants be able to do? To, and to what extent do we need other technologies to help support the role of coal-fired power plants? I think we'll be in a better place. But that said, bottom line is the way currently we see technology growth uh, in terms of install, install capacity base for storage and uh, solar panning out. Um, I think we're only going to see that continuous increase. So let's try and ensure, for instance, outcomes like air pollution from thermal-fired power, coal-fired power plants. And let's ensure that we are doing more with every unit of coal that we're burning. That's, I think, the best expectation that we can have for the system today because we are going to be dependent on it for the rest of the decade at least. So one quick question on this, the carbon capture utilization CCUS technology promises to, you know, a coal, it can be used for coal-fired plants, for steel mm -hmm. plants, mm -hmm. for refineries, but the problem is it still is developing. And right now, uh, India is, you know, we are working out globally, even developed economies are working on this. Uh, do you think CCUS gives us a, a good uh, opportunity to, you know, environmentally make a environmentally enterprising, if I could use that word with it? Yeah. Uh, you know, Rishi, so given that there is there aren't really that many at scale deployments of CCUS globally, right? I mean, we've been hearing of this for what now? What, 15 years or so, 15, 16 years or so? You know, CC has been doing the rounds, you know, a project here in Norway, in Canada, perhaps in the US. Um, all of them, you know, um, started off, got shelved, you know, you know, cost overruns, you name it, right? Um, the thing is, CCUS is clearly something that fossil fuel producing countries are invested in. When I say fossil fuel, I'm talking about the high value fossil fuel, oil and gas. Because it is a way in which you can continue to use oil and gas suck it out of the air, you know, whether it's direct capture or maybe at the stacks and put it back into the ground. And miraculously, you know, you have your conventional sources of energy working for you. Yeah. Now, but the big problem is that, you know, India, unfortunately, at least in the Indian context, has not yet taken the decisive steps to understand where can we store it away. This requires at least a, a fair bit of involvement of the government agency because ultimately a lot of the surveying that needs to happen off the course and even within right, to identify spots uh, which make for good geological things where, you know, with reasonable certainty, you can store them away for a thousand years, right, if that's the expectation, are, you know, identified. And then there is a proof of concept that, you know, you can indeed do it in a safe manner, which does not compromise the, you know, the, the physiology, so to say, of that particular space, all of these things, right. Now, this India is not done, unfortunately. Now, as a result, the main thing that, you know, everybody is looking at is, I capture it, then I have to utilize it. So yeah. tell me, where can I utilize it? Now, the problem is, 
utilization, there are a few avenues, right? For instance, you can capture carbon and you can use it perhaps in the making of methanol from green hydrogen, right? You can use it in, you know, in, in the food industry in certain cases, right? But you can't use billions of tons. Billions of tons. Bill, you know, you know, when I say billions, you know, India's India emits about three odd, you know, three billion tons. So you can't, even if you end up capturing that much, you can't utilize a lot of that. A lot of it will have to be stored away. Now, storing necessarily means you're capturing and putting it away, and there is no value to that capturing and putting it away. In the case of utilization, there is a potential value because somebody wants to buy it off you to produce a further commodity. Yeah. So, which means, you know, carbon capture and today, if you go and speak to any one of the big players who's interested in carbon capture, they're like, okay, so what will I do with the carbon? Because I need to find value for it. Because today I may have an internal carbon price, a shadow carbon price, but the market is not seeing it. Yeah. Right. Nobody is kind of seeing it. There is no global carbon price that's at play through which, you know, whatever I expend in storing that capturing the carbon will be monetizable. So unless I can find a value for that carbon by utilizing it somewhere, it's not really useful for me and, and less so in the Indian context. So, and ultimately if it has to be stored away, then somebody has to then pay for that, which means yeah. that again, that price has to be, you know, incorporated into it. So that carbon ca uh, capture and storage will have to go in as the carbon price. And that number could be, I don't know, anywhere as high as $50, right? I'm assuming very, very low capture costs. So at this point, India has not made much progress. Clearly, you know, power, generation is not one of those candidates which is actually going to go through the CCS route because you have better ways of doing it. You have RE, right? You have RE. Why would you want to, you know, continue generating via coal, you know, incurring the pollution load uh, and then doing this? You go with RE, right? Phase out coal at the pace at which it happens. Where CCS might make sense and perhaps will be needed uh, in fact, even 50 years from now is in places where, for instance, cement manufacture. If we are going to rely on, if we're going to rely on cement as a commodity, which is a 150 year old commodity, which is very little has changed in terms of the overall processes, the CO2 that's emitted during the process, you cannot change it. You cannot change the fundamental nature of how cement is made. Now, if you need to rely on cement, you will have to capture that, that CO2 and put it away. And that represents about 7% of global emissions. So in certain sectors where you know that, you know, whether it's the process, or whether, for instance, if you're not able to change the way iron making happens, notwithstanding green steel, green hydrogen, all of it, you may have to capture. So I think the role will perhaps more be in industrial processes and industrial energy use and capturing the CO2 from there, but less in the power sector because we have alternatives. And coal plus CCS is certainly far more expensive than RE plus storage. So if India can put in you know, coal plus storage, we might as well say CCS, might as well just start start putting storage in a massive scale today itself. No, that's that's a great assessment. Uh, now the next question, which is is something which we usually come back to you on air pollution. Uh, uh, so the energy transaction advisory committee, which was uh, uh, chaired by uh, ex oil secretary Mr. Tarun Kapoor, now they've suggested that you know uh, we need to ban diesel operated four wheelers from million plus populated cities by twenty twenty seven. Mm. Uh, both the air pollution, the pollution, and the, you know the transition. Both the themes are uh, inherent in it, and they also said that you know uh, from now on the that city transport buses should you know essentially be electric. Yeah, and and you know uh, and this should happen by the the end of this current decade. Uh, now I had two questions for you. One is when uh, when you uh, is this banning of diesel four wheelers. Uh, 
um, in million plus cities by 2027. So we have around 60 million plus cities. And of that, uh, almost 50 are highly polluted cities. And uh, uh, so one, uh, is this too, is this very ambitious? Because the kind of finances, again, the question of finances comes here. Uh, you know, the kind of resources that are required to deploy that kind of vehicles, because uh, these all, uh, and we need to understand that these 60 cities are highly populated. Uh, for instance, cities like Kanpur, or even for that matter, Delhi or Mumbai, or, you know, Noida or Gurgaon or Kane mm -hmm. or Pune. Mm -hmm. So that's one. And number two is that, uh, 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 what we feel is that, uh, you know, uh, the effort should be from all the departments in the government, because right now what we are seeing is that commerce is working on its own um, uh, policies, uh, power ministry is working on something else, uh, uh, road ministry is working on, you know, public charging stations, while the Kati Shakti platform and, uh, you know, the prime minister's office is trying to bring all of them on a single platform. So that, you know, the coordination is there. But a lot is amiss. Mm. So, so the first question is that these, you know, uh, making these uh, million plus populated cities diesel free, four wheelers at least, uh, you know, it, it looks promising. But uh, what is the, you know, uh, do you think it will be, be able to be implemented as we expected? Because 2027 is four years away. Right. I mean, there's certainly, you know, an element of desirability to these kinds of, uh, you know, notifications and orders, which is that, yes, diesel is certainly a polluting fuel, uh, you know, perhaps the worst thing that's out there in the uh, you know, today. But uh, that's said, you have to look at the, you know, perhaps some of the on-ground challenges that a lot of groups will face. More specifically, you know, uh, the vulnerable groups transporting goods. See, we're talking about you know, we're talking, I mean, I'm not sure whether this particular declaration was only for passenger vehicles, but a lot of freight movement that happens within city happens on diesel. Also happens on diesel. Yes. Right. There is a significant bit of capital that is locked in in those uh, particular ones, in those uh, in those vehicles. And as a result, um, thinking of overhauling that huge stock of vehicles, uh, you know, in the uh, million plus cities, right, is a big challenge. Now, I would say I mean, and this is something that, you know, I think we have internal disagreements within our group itself, which is the aspirations that you, you know, that, that one sort of uh, speaks to, which is the Indian population's aspirations are already for, you know, private cars right now. And that's one of the reasons why we're finding this huge, you know, uh, privatization of transport happening in cities themselves. Now, can we basically slow the clock on that and ensure that people aspire to use public transport in a big way, it becomes an aspirational commodity, which will have a decelerating impact on the rate of growth of, you know, energy consumption in transport overall. Can we think of, you know, reimagining the way our cities are basically growing, right? In, in a, in, as opposed to a haphazard manner where, you know, a Delhi grows into a Noida, you know, and then you just have this massive urban sprawl and people living, you know, 60 kilometers away traveling every day. Can we not think of, you know, denser cities where people you know live closer and uh, stay closer to where they work all of these i think are slightly you know more workable solutions which speak to people's aspirations for you know livable cities as opposed to sort of you know this technology centric view that you know diesel needs to be banned i mean if anything having diesel buses for instance in the city 
which takes off, you know, cars which are either dependent on diesel or petrol, far more effective. It's not diesel itself that's the problem. It's the private vehicle fancy that's the problem. And unfortunately, we've not managed to address this, the need for people to move. We've basically let private enterprise figure out how you want to move in a city, right? If you want to basically go and buy your daily groceries in the shop next door or in the two roads away in a car, please do it. We've not figured out a way of having walkable footpaths, make it safe for women at night. So all of those things have to be taken into account to think of uh, easy to move through, right? And ultimately that's the concept. Sustainable mobility is a concept. Diesel free should ultimately be the aim, but whether that should be the first target is uh, I think a question that's up for answering. I mean, I think the committee will certainly have its view because they realize that it is a significant source of pollution. Uh, we import a fair bit of the, you know, of the crude oil that we use, but at the same time, by the way, we are also big exporters of diesel as well, right? So it's not like, you know, uh, suddenly India stops using diesel and what happens? Are we going to find export markets for all of the diesel? India is a big exporter market today. So I think those linkages will have to be answered if this has to be followed through. But on the face of it, um, I would think that it's a bit knee-jerk, uh, perhaps not looking at some of the deeper challenges that we have to, I think, making our cities more... Uh, mobile uh, friendly for everybody. During the India Energy Week, International Energy Agency had uh, Dr. Faith Berol uh, told business line that the world has not given uh, credit to India as much as it needs in energy transition and its efforts in energy transition. Would you agree? Given that the session happened in India, he <laughs> ought to have seen, of course he said that, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I think everybody knows that you know at the level of income that we have uh, to look at the current install base is nothing short of a miracle. Uh, countries that are richer than us in Southeast Asia have far lower you know install capacity base. Have not even given thought to the kind of architecture we have in place for discovering lower tariffs. There is so much that they can learn from where we've basically you know gone about uh, augmenting renewable energy capacity in the country, and I think that is really what he is talking to. Now, that said, unfortunately, in the case of India, because we are 1.4 billion, necessarily anything we do, we require 10 times more. 10 times more. And that is where the, you know, the big conundrum is, right? The rest of the world feels we are not doing enough, right? Whereas, you know, for our, uh, uh, for the size that we are uh, and for the, for the economy that we are, I think we are certainly punching well above our weight, uh, but we have to cater to a huge population's aspirations. So I guess the world will have to bear, you know, so to say with the, uh, with you know, with our needs, uh, and I think you know, India at the end of the day also realizes that we are will be likely in the, one of the most impacted by climate change as well. So I think India's efforts are in earnest, and I think India is trying to balance its requirements, sort of adapt as well as mitigate to the extent that the West is not able to do its job very well. Thank you so much, Karthik. You know, for painstakingly breaking down it. My take home is that. Energy transition has to be holistic. It should um, encompass lives of people, urban planning. And when we do it step by step, uh, problems of air pollution to manufacturing ecosystem, everything falls in line. I think you, in so many words, you've reinforced this point that, you know, development still has to be holistic. And when it is holistic, every part prospers. Thank you so much for, you know, leaving us with these thoughts.